the last couple of years, it just erupted with me to the point where I was just drinking 24-7. You know, I was a functioning alcoholic and, um, you know, I was drinking at work, during work times. I just would keep topping myself up to keep the anxiety levels down and, uh, you know, still being able to function. But uh, then it just sort of, the last six months, it, it just sort of got out of control where I just wasn't turning up to work. I'm Danny Vallant and this is Dirty Linen the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. Steve Kilminster has been working as a chef for over 20 years, mostly in Sydney doing high-level catering and working in hatted restaurants. I came across Steve when I was researching a story about the restaurant industry and compliance, wages, all that stuff last year. And we had a really good chat. Uh, one of the things that we talked about that didn't make it into the story was mental health in hospitality and, and how the industry can be really wearing for people who work in it. When I started doing this, uh, this topic of mental health in hospitality on Dirty Linen, Steve was one of the first people that I thought of that I needed to reach out to. When I did reach out to him, I found him in a rather interesting place uh, and talking to him seemed like even more of an essential thing to do. So Steve, thanks so much for chatting to me and uh, tell me where you are. Hi, uh, yeah, uh, I'm currently in uh, Townsville Recover uh, Recovery Service uh, Rehabilitation Centre, uh, which is a Salvation Army um, rehabilitation run centre, uh, obviously in Townsville for uh, alcoholism and uh, depression and anxiety. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when you told me this yesterday, I just thought, oh my goodness. Because when we spoke last year, you'd mentioned that you'd had had your own struggles with alcohol and, and drugs and that you'd seen a lot of your colleagues in the industry also suffering from, from those things and from anxiety and depression. But to see you in such a, a raw place right now, um, yeah, really, really hit me. Um, tell me how you've ended up there and, and um, tell me how you're going. Um, well, it's funny. I mean, when I originally spoke to you, I'd actually been in this uh, recovery centre uh, for a month and um, I self-exited um, thinking that I was okay and I didn't mention that to you, I don't think, at the time because, you know, there's a bit of – well, there's a lot of shame surrounding, you know, the uh, – a lot of the round mental illness and the stigma behind it and um, especially within, you know, the hospitality industry, uh, you know, no one or hardly anyone ever speaks. Well, I don't think I've spoken to anyone about it actually but I know there's a lot of people out there suffering. You know, a couple of my mates are um, – one's taken his own life, um, you know, years ago, a mate of mine and uh, another one drank himself to death. And um, I was heading down that same path. Um you know, after 20-plus years uh, being in the industry, you know, with the long hours and the um, – like I mentioned to you the other day as well, the, there's a big culture in, in hospitality with drinking and drugs and, you know, and, and you know when you've worked such long hours and you, you, you get home from work um, or, you know, you all plan to go out and party um, to let off some steam at – early on in the piece or early on in the years, um, it's to go out and have fun. But um, as I've discovered um, over the years, it's ended up becoming self-medicating for me, 
um, and ended up turning into a major problem to the point where I actually tried to drink myself to death and take my own life. Oh, my goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, and, um, yeah, I ended up uh, reaching out for help. I mean, I've been – this is my fourth go at rehab in 12 months. Um, yeah, and I'm actually now – um, I'm in here. For, I've been in here for four months now, and and really getting back on a really healthy path, uh, mentally and physically. And um, but uh, I've got another couple of months to go, and I'm now. I don't know. I'm really doubtful about going back in the, into the industry. Um, just with not being able, maybe not being able to handle the stress and the long hours anymore, which. Uh, seems to be, I mean, like like I, I spoke to you about, there's been, um, you know, it being my fourth rehab in 12 months, I've seen a lot of chefs now uh, come come through these rehabs and um, drinking is the main, main problem for chefs and getting out of control. Um, yeah, and, and, you know, just the stress in the long hours really starts to wear you down. So you've seen... Uh- do you find that there's like yeah, there's more chefs compared to other people than you might expect that are alongside you in rehab? The hospitality staff, yeah, definitely. But chefs in general, are, I think the most. I mean, as I've discovered, definitely uh, addiction doesn't discriminate amongst any profession. I mean, I've had I've, there's doctors and lawyers and you know down to cleaners. You know, it's every single professional career out there is you know becomes can become an addict but uh the most common i would say would be hospitality and chefs from what i've seen they're a higher percentage that's for sure yeah and i mean you've talked about about long hours and a culture of drinking drugs massive drugs yeah as well okay I mean, I, I, you know, I, I had, a, I was starting to head down the path of having a, a, a major problem with cocaine as well, which is very common within um, the industry, especially in Sydney. And when you look back on yourself in that, in those scenarios, you know, what do you think it was that that made you go down that path? Um. It just, it just started. I don't know. It, it, like I said, you know, you start out going out after work for fun and, uh, you know, and having having a good time and and whatnot. But um, uh, as time went on, I I just found myself needing it more and and trying to de stress from you know coming home from a you know a fifteen you know hour shift or a twelve fifteen hour straight shift. You know, no break, no food, and. Um, somehow needing to sort of let off steam, you know, you'd have a couple of beers here and there and then, you know, slowly you'd end up having more and then over the years I'd, I'd come home and, you know, with lack of sleep, um, sleep deprivation's a big thing uh, and you, you somehow need an outlet to, uh, to sort of get yourself to sleep and I don't know, if, like it's sad, but like function normally even though it's not normal whatsoever. Um, and then it just got, yeah, the last, the last couple of years, it just erupted with me to the point where I was just drinking 24 seven, you know, I was a functioning alcoholic and, um, you know, I was drinking at work during work times 
I just would keep topping myself up to keep the anxiety levels down and, uh, you know, still being able to function. But uh, then it just sort of the last six months, it, it just sort of got out of control where I just wasn't turning up to work. And um, anxiety and depression just sort of started to run rampant and um, to the point now where I just have fear about going back into a kitchen because of the long hours and the stress and the lack of appreciation and the the low wages, you know. It's, you know, like I've discussed with you, you know, like 20 years ago, you know, a qualified chef was taking home 600, 650 a week and now a qualified chef's taking home maybe couple of hundred dollars more but you know the rents have gone up or you know tripled or you know the cost of living in general is just it hasn't kept up and there's just no there just doesn't seem to be any reward now and there's less chefs in, in each kitchen which puts more pressure on on each chef that's in those kitchens as well um yeah and i'm like reading these forums like i'd said to you um you know there's just more and more people especially with covid coming through realizing that you know what are we really doing this for because we're we're just busting our our guts for um for i don't know we're just feeling a bit used now not really appreciated yeah when you say forums i I just to tell the listeners we're talking about some facebook forums where chefs have a chat and that's where we initially connected um and and when we when we talked last year steve we were talking about sort of like the structure of the hospitality industry and about wages and hours and all that sort of stuff and i think at at one level in the industry there is this uh feeling that things are being cleaned up that there is more compliance but you found that in you know the places a lot of the places that you work and the people that you know work that there's still a lot of stuff that goes on that isn't um isn't according to the award and that a lot of people are still doing over the hours. Um, is that a fair thing to say? Oh, absolutely. Look, to be fair, it's um, in because there's two awards. There's the the restaurant award and then there's the sort of the hotel and, and clubs, you know, gaming award. And now they've tightened that up now. So any hours that you work over 38 on that, that um, clubs award, um, you get paid. Um, where well, you meant to, um, the the and you get breaks as well. I think it's every five hours or five and a half hours you have to take a break, which is also always works out a little bit difficult because if you know you start a certain time, then you got to, someone's got to take a break in the middle of service. But people still say to you, "Oh, just put down that you took the break." Yeah, right, great. But you didn't take the break, and it's like, well, hang on a sec. But it's one of those things where no one speaks up because. Then you're scared you're going to lose your job, and there's that real stigma behind that as well. And then there's still a lot of the old way of thinking is it's just oh well, just toughen up. You know what I mean? This is the industry. This is the way it is. If you don't like it, get out of the industry. And then you're seen as weak. So then a lot of pressure gets put on you about you know being a man or you know being you know. There's a lot more women coming in the industry um, these days as well. Um, but. Yeah, it's it's uh, uh, like I was telling you that story yesterday. I think wasn't it about that girl that I read on the, one of the forums that she's been a head chef for four years now, getting paid fifty grand a year. She's done the right thing, handed in a notice to an employ her employer, and uh, and he's just all of a sudden uh, taken all of her recipe books, which is her property, and uh, and holding the ransom. And um, even though she's she's gone about resigning in the correct way. 
And uh, so there's two problems there is that she's been underpaid for four years, not getting paid, you know, even the minimum award. And uh, the other thing is her property's been taken off her. Now, I've heard lots of stories like that and it's, it, it, you know, things really, really need to change because, you know, the, the, the industry's like it's really dying and it's sad. So, Steve, when you tell stories like that and, you know, we hear about people who are being disrespected and treated badly in their jobs, I mean, to me it, what it makes me think of is, well, how does that person feel? And, and I guess you don't feel respected and that is very wearing and draining and I can understand why you might, you know, need to have a few drinks or think you need to have a few drinks or whatever it is to blow off steam and, and just ch- to try to front up for work again. I mean, I, I feel like if people aren't being treated well in the industry, then that's bad for their mental health for one and it's also bad for the industry going forward. Yeah, look, it, yeah, it's very, very frustrating. Um, to hear stuff like that or read stuff like that and, you know, it, it's been going on for quite a long time um, as far as I know or seen within the industry. And for an industry that I love and a lot of other people, you know, love as well, to see it, to see it heading down this path and to finally... I don't know for it to start to get a little bit of a groundswell now, and and people actually starting to come out of the woods a bit and and say, hang on a sec, I'm being unfairly, you know, overworked or underpaid here, and I'm not being appreciated whatsoever. You just feel like a you just feel like a piece of meat. You really do. And I, I mean, I remember one of my uh, previous jobs a few years ago. That's how I ended up feeling in the end. Like two people left. The job it was a four-person kitchen. They wanted the food to stay up to a, a, a higher standard, and um, I just got blatantly lied to about um, a job being in the, you know, uh, being advertised, and they were going to replace the people that had left. Um, and it never eventuated. And me and the other chef just ended up getting overworked and getting really, really upset and frustrated. And but you, what happens is you start to doubt yourself. You go, well, am I whinging here? Am I complaining or? You know, like it's, and yeah, that's what really starts to creep into your, your own mind. Mm. You know, because then it gets back to the old, oh, you know, just toughen up, or you know, have a can of concrete. And that, you hear that, you know, like oh, the amount of chefs that used to be a real badge of honour with chefs saying that, you know, I haven't had a sick day in ten years, and it's like, well, that's silly because, but if you if you did have a sick day. It is so frowned upon. You are a piece of dirt amongst the crew because it seems it's really seen as being weak. But also to the point where I've taken a, a sick day, and um, my boss has rung up and abused me and said, you know, because I, I, I had uh, I had some back problems there for a while, genuine back problems. And uh, my boss was ringing me up going, there's nothing wrong with you and just abusing me. And, and I was like laid out flat. I could not walk for four days. I mean, how does that meant to make it, how, how's that meant to make you feel when you want to get back because you know you're letting the team down? And I'm a big team player. I've played a lot of team sport when I was, you know, in my earlier years. And I don't like, like just letting people down in general, but it sort of got to the point where it's like, hang on a sec, this is not right. 
Well, especially when the reason that your back's a bit rooted is that you've probably been doing long hours on your feet in those very kitchens. Correct. And that's the whole thing. So it, it, it's caught between a rock and a hard place, you know, like you want to be there. I mean, there's a, there's a fantastic um, 50 quest or 50 uh, outline sort of question about, you know, if you want to become a chef, this is what's going to happen. And it just nails chefing in, you know, so well as in you're going to not have a social life. You're not going to be able to turn up to any social events. You're not, you know, like weddings, whatever, funeral, whatever they are. You know, you're going to get underpaid. You're going to get overworked. You're going to probably get a, a drinking problem or a drug problem. And it states all of this. And it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's so well written and it's spot on. So, I mean, look, I've been saying it for years now and it's really, really sad. But if anyone comes up to me, there's a kid in here that wants to be a chef now in the rehab and he's a good young kid, you know, and he's, he's, he's probably got a bit of talent behind him and he's passionate. And I've been telling people for years, don't do it. Don't get in the industry because it's so jaded now. When I first started, it was different. There was enough chefs in the kitchen because businesses could afford to do that because rents weren't as high, cost of living wasn't as high. Wages, you know what I mean? Like it was, it was balanced. Now it's just gotten so out of balance that, like I said, you find, and I was explaining that story to you where, you know, there wasn't enough chefs in the kitchen and, and that's the way it is now. It seems like every kitchen you go into, there's, you, you're one person short or you're half a person short, so you're always chasing your tail. You, you never have enough hours in the day. You, you, so therefore, you, if, you, if you go to have a break, you feel guilty because you know that you're not going to be ready for service. And what is what does that do to those those feelings of satisfaction that you enjoy as a chef? That feeling of you know putting some great food on a plate of you know happy customers. Like do you, you miss out on all that good stuff, hey? Yeah, you 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 know within yourself that um, you have you've had to cut corners to um to get the food on the plate and it's not how how the dish should be i mean even that extra 30 seconds of of uh being able to take a little bit more time and plating up or you know just giving something a little bit longer to rest which makes a huge um difference in the you know the, the toughness or the tenderness of the meats or whatever you're cooking you know just just like all the little things you know because it's it's Cooking's, you know, it's very fast paced and, and just all the little things add up. Yeah. And if you don't have time to do that or you don't have, instead of having a someone on, on meat section and someone on fish section and then what ended up happening to me was because, say, in this instance, one person left, I ended up doing both sections. Do you know what I mean? Or at the start we had an extra chef so that I was just plating up. Mm. So the the, rest, the restaurant was running beautifully. Those corners, people, and they were still making the don't. And I know that because I I'm responsible for you know figures as in food costs, weight costs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I know that they were still making good money, but they started to get greedy. Oh, hang on a sec, that person's gone now. He's actually been doing both of those sections. Let's just keep him doing it. So there's a bit of that. There's a bit of that where where you you do strike the greedy owners, but then there is also. You know, a lot of people would would say that food's just too cheap. That some of this has to be passed on to the customer, and then it, you know everything's so tight these days. 
that for, to have that more relaxed like atmosphere where you can you can really feel proud of what you're putting on the plate um like it used to be when you started cooking that the prices on menus just need to go up I mean, do you think that that's a factor as well look they do but you know as soon as you put price like I, i've i've seen it running running you know uh, kitchens restaurants that you can change your price on some dishes that you might have a few regulars coming back for and put it up 50 cents to a dollar. They don't come back. And we're talking such minimal prices. That's <laughs> so bad. I've, 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 I've personally seen it, you know. So pe- pe- people aren't prepared, you know, like to to pay. I mean, look, when the GST came in, this is a long time ago, obviously, while I was working in a restaurant, we, the business was set up mainly for business business lunches. We were Monday to Friday lunch only and we were doing like quite a high-level High level, uh, uh, you know, fair cooking, good ingredients, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, dishes had to go up overnight uh, to to cover all the costs. Um, some dishes had to go up five dollars overnight. Now, what ended up happening back then was w- we predicted it, um, you know, amongst the crew in the in the restaurant was that fine dining started to like really dissipate and restaurants started to shut because prices in fine dining had to go up even more to make their margins. So people weren't going to pay that. So that was when the cafe industry really started to take off because those people that were coming in for those $30, $40 business lunches per head then suddenly ended up going up 50 because it wasn't just on the food, it was on the wine or a beer or, you know, whatever it was. So they ended up paying $10, $20 more a head. They ended up going into cafes and that's when the cafe boom started, you know, back 20 years ago or was it? Early two thousand, you know what I mean. So, but oh, look, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You just really squeezed, aren't you? You just get squeezed between customers that don't want to pay more and bosses that don't want to pay more. So. Yeah, and you know we're the ones like left in the middle. You know, like uh, want, just trying to they're just trying to squeeze more and more out of each individual. I mean, I read an ad a couple of days ago that said head chef. You will need to wear many hats, as in you'll be responsible for, you know, order. You, you know, normally when you're in a decent kitchen, you've got a head chef, a sous chef, and maybe an apprentice, or you know, there's three or four of you, whatever. So, head chef is responsible for, you know, say procedures and training, and and you know, making sure the whole running of the kitchen's going well. Then your sous chef might be responsible for the ordering. You know, so jobs are sort of delegated amongst each position. Now they don't have sous chefs because they don't want to pay that extra money. So now they just might have a couple of apprentices and then a, a chef to party, you know what I mean? Like years ago it used to be the ratio legally had to be one chef, one qualified chef to one apprentice. That doesn't exist anymore. So that so the training of chefs has gone downhill as well because you, you have less qualified people training the people underneath them. Um, but now the head chef has to do everything. Train, order, they're now also having to do more hands-on. They're doing the pans, you know, instead of just calling the past, doing, you know, plating and making sure the food's going out looking really, really nice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, it, and it, it, look, I understand it is a bit harder on the, the whole business in, in general because rents have gone up, you know. GST kicked in. Food, the, the cost of food's gone up because, you know, we had – you know, you know, petrol went up years ago, so therefore that that got passed on to the you know the suppliers because the drivers or the the freighting companies were charging more. You know what I mean? It all gets passed down the line. Yeah. 
So I don't know. I, I'm really, really – I'm just very jaded about it now and it's gotten to the point where it nearly killed me. <laughs> uh, what do you reckon you're going to do? Are you going to go back into kitchens or are you going to go into – Traffic management or real estate or <laughs> truck driving, like what else? What else might you do? Well, look, I'd, I'd, I'd love, to, I'd love, well, I'd love to be able to say that I, I, you know, like I still have a lot of passion for it. But, uh, you know, what, what, um, what scares me is the, you know, the long hours and the and the pressure and the stress because. Like I said, there's less chefs in kitchens now, so the workload's even higher. And also because the amount of comp, you know, with all these cooking shows that kicked in on TV, you know, I mean, that's another story as well. There's more pressure now on um, on everyone thinks they know how to cook, and then there's more negative. There's a lot more negative feedback because to every good experience a customer has in the restaurant, it goes to seven people and for every bad experience, this is through word of mouth, it goes to 38. But now they've got all these forums to get on there and just bag the place out. So you don't get very, you know, you get positive but you also get a lot of negative and stuff as well and owners are putting a lot more pressure on you to, to produce, you know, and restaurants are turning over very quickly because if you don't, you know, if you're not putting out what the, what people like, then they shut down very quickly as well. So I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right now I'm in the middle of, you know, sort of getting my mental health um, uh, back on track and, you know, uh, yeah, just getting myself better. But I'm not blaming um, the hospitality industry for for – my me being in here, it's not. Um, I could have gotten out, but it, you know, it, it sure. There's surely there, there definitely is a huge drinking and and drug culture um, in the hospitality industry that goes without saying and is, and is unsaid. And I think there's definitely a very a, a lot more mental illness in the hospitality industry that no one wants to come forward and speak about because there's still that huge stigma behind mental illness or having an addiction or just reaching out and saying, mate, I've got a problem here because most of the times it's like, well, sorry, mate, you've lost your job. Wow. There's, you know, there's no there's no help there, you know, that there's no support because the business owners themselves are under so much pressure with whatever money they owe, or they've got to make turn turn a profit as well. You know. So, what's what's rehab like? What happens in there? Uh, well, this this program here is fantastic. Um, we um, we're, we're currently um, doing uh, a module or classes on um, changing your sort of your you know, your, your neural pathways and positive thinking and, and getting yourself out of, um, um, you know, negative, the negative thinking cycle and how that that ha- plays a huge part on, on getting you to the point of having to become, you know, come into rehab or, you know, an addiction because, um, you know, low self-esteem and, and, you know, not really, not having feeling you've got a purpose in in life, 
which is where I started to go with chefing as well. So what am I doing this for? You know, so it's sort of loss of identity. So we're 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 really working on um, trying to change change our attitudes and and believe that life is worth living and life is good and and um, trying to battle the um, you know when fear pops up um, within yourself how to deal with that how to combat that um, how to let that feeling go or you know getting the tools to be able to deal with it but it you know it's sure and easy once you get to this point that I am it's the the, the statistics of someone staying sober that comes into recovery is about two and a half percent staying sober for the rest of their lives. Relapse is extremely high. So it's um, it's very scary. I'm in a very scary position right now. I mean, we had a guy try and hang himself last night, you know. Oh, my goodness. Everyone in here is... Yeah, not in not not in a, in a great situation, but you know we're all. Everyone's reached out for help here because life became unmanageable, and um, it just got to the point where you you just don't have anything left. Your your soul's empty. Um, yeah, you've got nothing else to give, so it's basically trying to rebuild yourself back up, and um, getting the tools and the skills to not relapse again and be able to sort of take life on again now i've been lucky that i've only crossed the thin red line as they say into alcoholism because there is a, a chemical change within your brain where um you can't not just have one drink anymore so i'm not allowed to drink well if i want to stay sober clean and sober i can't even have one drink anymore now because as soon as i have one drink i can't stop and that's a chemical reaction in my brain that's happened. That's all scientifically proven. Um, so getting over even just being able to go out and have a meal and have a glass of red wine and getting my head around that's hard enough, <laughs> you know. So it's it's this is for the rest of my life now, uh, this struggle. Um, and I hope that, you know, me speaking on this podcast, speaking to you, that you know, it's okay to ask for help, and if you're struggling, don't get it. Let don't don't let it get to the point where I did, where I I was too proud and and um, just kept on trying to push through because eventually it will it will it, it'll wear you down. Um, I don't want to also. You know, if you want to be a chef and you're passionate about it, get out there and do it, but make sure that you. Don't get taken advantage of at the same time, and um, yeah, you get you, you you are respected within within the business. You're not just treated as a piece of meat. I don't know. I don't know if that's uh, that that horse has bolted and it's gotten to that point where it's too far now. And it's you know how are they going to how are they going to bring that back? Like I said, because if they start paying people correctly. Um, a lot of business won't be able to stay stay afloat. So how do they change that culture? Do you think that COVID is an opportunity to have that big reset and we come out the other side of it and the industry is definitely going to be smaller? There are, there are going to be fewer restaurants. Can you see that turning into 
a positive for the industry and for allowing respect and reasonable costs and prices to flow all the way through? No. Sadly, I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are now um, uh, going to be bus- – people that have obviously invested lots of money in their business are going to be desperate to get it cranking again. I've definitely seen wages are starting to come out lower in adverts. I saw like head chefs getting offered 65 grand, you know, which is 20 grand less or 15 grand less than what they were offering six months a year ago, you know. So people are just going to be desperate to get things going again and um, they're going to probably start employing – like people that are getting employed in high positions now are so, so not qualified to do these positions and then that affects the, the person's – the owner's business because the quality of everything goes down, the consistency goes down and then places end up shutting anyway. Um I'd like to say yes, I really would. I'd like to say yes that COVID's going to reset the industry and, you know, and everything's going to be roses. But look, at the end of the day, it, you know, it, it, it's a hard it's, – it's always going to be uh, a job of hard graft, but it doesn't need to be as hard as it is. And there needs to be more reward and, and put more value needs to be put on the people, you know, behind the scenes that are putting in the really hard graft. You know, eating eating their meals at 100 miles, there are staff meals at 100 miles an hour that sometimes they don't even get to eat. You know, people are taking smoke breaks just to get out of the kitchen but so that they can get away for five minutes. You know, it, it, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know what the answer is. And it's tougher It's and it's even, it's, it's even harder in the high-level restaurants. You work even longer hours for definitely no extra pay. And you're, and it's because you're seen as, you know, you're gaining the skills um, and the knowledge from, you know, that that high level restaurant that you normally can't go and and use down the track unless you stay at that high level. Mm. Yeah. When you're looking forward, or is it is it is some is part of rehab looking forward and and trying to. Th- imagine what a good life might look like for you is that something that you do that's what it's all about so at the start it's it's all it's all about breaking it down pinpointing where the problem has has evolved from where it started from working through those problems and then like as you move further through the program you get into a high level of class and a high level of teaching and they're moving and then starting to they, – they start helping you with uh, plans to, um, you know, exit out of the, the program into a into a positive, healthy lifestyle. But like I said, only 2.5% ever stay sober for the, for the remainder of their life. So it's like that scares the crap out of me as well. Well, I guess – but the fact that you're in there for your fourth time also shows how incredibly determined you are. And it shows that it's difficult and it shows that you might not get it right the first, second or third time, but it also shows that you've got that um, you really value yourself and you, yeah, you want to make a go of it. I mean, to me that's incredibly impressive and it makes me think you'll be in the 2.5%, mate. <laughs> like I reckon you will. Hopefully, look, look, I really hope so. And like I was saying, you know, I'm lucky that I've only – um, crossed over this sin red line a couple of years ago. I mean, so there's a lot. Most people in here are 
been addicts all their lives, 20 years, 30 years, you know. Um, I've got a job. I'm speaking to a guy about a, a very good um, job offer tomorrow um, that's that is good timing for me because it starts in September so I can sort of finish the program here. But, look, you know, it's nighttime only. It's not split shifts. And I'm really hoping that I'm going to do it and um, – and, and be able to do it. Uh, and I'm going to have a crack, I think. Um, but it's getting back into the, uh, the unknown of coming out of recovery with the statistics, but I suppose you've got to try and ignore the statistics and think that you are the 2.5%, otherwise why would you bother trying? Well, yeah. So stay tuned. <laughs> I will, and I want you to... Tell me where you end up. Whether it's at that restaurant, is it is it up in Townsville? No, it's in uh, Port Macquarie. Okay. Well, when Mel- when Melbourne people are allowed in the in society again, let let me know. I'll, I'm going to come up and I'm going to have a lemon lime and bitters with you and <laughs> uh, <laughs> celebrate your success. I can't have bitters. That's got alcohol in it. Uh, I'll just I'll just have a lemon and lime then. And uh, yeah, we'll have we'll a stiff just, water. Yeah, we'll have a stiff water. Celebrate the tough journey and your persistence, um, Steve. Look, it's been it's incredible to hear your story, and especially to to meet with you and chat with you when you're right in the thick of it. I really admire what you're doing, and I I, I know a lot of people are going to be really impressed with your courage in speaking about this. Um, yeah, it's. I'm sure that that's part of what's going to get you through to the other side and and out the other side into the sunshine. So thanks so much for your time today, mate. Really, really appreciate it. And certainly I know that everybody listening to this now and in the future joins me in wishing you all the best. Thanks. I really appreciate the time to, um, yeah, share my story and and hopefully it, it, uh, it helps anyone out there that's sort of going through the same struggle. But, yeah, there's help out there, people, and, and ask for it if you need it. Good on you, Steve. I just want to say to anybody who's who's listening that if you need someone to talk to right now, do reach out to your GP. If you need to get on the phone to someone immediately, Lifeline Australia is one three double one one four. There's also Beyond Blue, uh, beyondblue.org.au and also check out Hospo for Life, which Liam Crawley talked about last week, um, specific, specific help for people in hospitality. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>